0: From training
1: to performing, join our big league conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy.
2: Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 113. Cressy Sports Performance Massachusetts Director of Performance John O'Neill has filled in a little bit in the past as a guest host, and he's going to be doing it again today. Um, This is actually something that John and I have talked about. Um, We're going to integrate him just a little bit more moving forward because I do think he brings a a unique perspective on the industry and has some connections that I might not have. Um, I think he asked some really, really good questions, and and it's going to be a, a way for us to kick out a little bit more content more frequently so um, we're excited to have John doing this one he's actually got a former CSP Massachusetts intern who's doing some great stuff in professional baseball and share some really cool insights on not just you know the strength and conditioning world but also speaks a little bit um, with respect to the the relationship between scouting and player development so I thought this was a really good podcast and, and John did a great job kind of pulling some really cool responses at him that'll give us a big picture look at, at how to develop players if you're a baseball pitcher, you know that keeping your arm healthy is essential, but with high training volumes on top of participation in games, that's not always easy. Overuse is a significant problem for players at every level of competition right now. Certainly, we see elbow and shoulder injuries as some of the most common overuse injuries in baseball. At the professional level, an ulnar collateral ligament of the elbow injury can result in an average of 17.2 months out of competition. For youth players, overuse is also a predominant injury mechanism of injury. If you miss out on that much time, you're also missing out on a lot of development. So really, at the end of the day, there are three ways we can combat overuse. First, you can reduce workload, and certainly there have been a lot of research studies out there on pitch counts. Second, and the theme of this podcast, is that you can build a significant level of fitness to prepare yourself. However, a third key approach that's often overlooked is that you can work to improve your recovery so that you can safely display the fitness that you've built day in and day out. And that's really where Mark Pro is an effective tool. Some athletes will even use it to warm up their arms before they throw. Mark Pro is a cutting edge EMS device that uses patented technology to create non fatiguing muscle activation. And this is what sets it apart from other recovery tools. Muscle activation with Mark Pro facilitates each stage of the body's natural recovery process, similar to active recovery, but without the extra effort and muscular fatigue. Athletes can use it for as long as they need to ensure a more full and quick recovery between training or games. With its portability and ease of use, players can use Mark Pro while traveling between games or while relaxing at home. We even have players that use it all the time on team flights to help them bounce back. We have plenty of pro athletes that use this, and players from every Major League Baseball team use it. Put Mark Pro to the test for yourself and take advantage of the great deal they have set up for our listeners through the end of May. Just head to markpro.com and use promo code CRESSI at checkout for 20% off your order. Again, that's markpro.com, M-A-R-C, pro.com and use the promo code Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y at checkout to get 20% off your order through the end of May. Today's guest is director of performance scouting and a major league strength conditioning coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's currently in his fifth year with the organization and in 2020 he was on the staff that won a World Series. Prior to the 2019 season, he served as minor league performance coach at various levels with the organization. His current role splits time with both performance and amateur scouting departments. Within performance, he works directly with the players on the major league side. With an amateur scouting, he creates the physical evaluations for all players that have been identified as potential first-year player draft picks. Prior to the Dodgers, he spent time in the private sector of strength and conditioning. He completed an internship at Cressy Sports Performance in Massachusetts before working at Ranfone Training Systems in Hamden, Connecticut. He completed his undergraduate degree at the University of Connecticut, where he was a four-year member of the varsity baseball team. While at UConn, he completed an internship with the sports performance department. These experiences have offered him the opportunity to work with athletes across a wide variety of ages and sport demographics. Please welcome to the show, Eric Yavaron.
0: What's up, everybody? Uh, this is John O'Neill, uh, host, guest hosting... My fourth episode of the Elite Baseball Development Podcast. Uh, I know this will come out early in 2022, so hopefully you'll hear a bunch of me in 2022. Uh, Eric and I put together a nice little guest list of people that I'd like to interview throughout the year. Um, You guys maybe have heard me before with Lee Taft, Derek Hansen, Ty Terrell. Um, If you haven't, um, I'm the director of performance at CSP Massachusetts. And so kind of the day-to-day lead while Eric spends a lot of his time with the Yankees and in Florida. Um, but I'm here to just help out and kind of contribute however I can to the podcast. Uh, today I have a, a pretty cool guest here. Uh, so it's a guy who, uh, he and I actually have a lot in common in terms of running kind of parallel uh, careers within strength and conditioning where we wound up in different spots. So um, both of us uh, interned at Cressy, at CSP, I interned in Florida, he interned in Massachusetts. We both interned at a place called Randphone Training Systems in Connecticut um, I think we've only met once in person, maybe twice, um, so I apologize if I forget the second time, um, but the guest is Eric Yaviron. Um Eric is the Director of Performance Scouting and Major League Strength and Edition coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's currently in his fifth year with the organization. Prior to the 2019 season, he served as a minor league performance coach at various levels. His current role splits time within both the performance and amateur scouting departments, Within performance, he works directly with players on the major league side, and then within amateur scouting, he creates physical evaluations for all players that have been identified as potential draft picks. Eric, thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, John, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's it's pretty funny hearing you say that. I, you know, I've kind of described our relationship the same way today. I was talking to somebody, telling him I was going to hop on, and uh, you know. They were saying, well, how do you know How do you know John? I am so well, we worked in the same place, but we never worked there at the same time. So I know him, but I don't. <laughs> so it's kind of similar to the way he said it. But yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for... Uh, yeah. Thinking, no, thinking it's one it. of
0: those things where, um, you know, I think I, I heard you on another podcast talk about like listening or or listen to you on another podcast where you're trying out, you know, I know you interned at the college level, at the, at the private sector, and then wound up going the pro direction. Um, I interned in pro ball... Intern uh, in the private sector, wound up going the private sector direction. Both of us have been in our current roles about the same amount of time, you know, five, five-ish years or so. Um, and so, um, you know, it's one of those things where we're on opposite coasts, so um, we don't have an opportunity to collaborate uh, on the same people yeah. very often. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, you know, former interns I've had that are potential hires for you guys, uh, guys who are draft picks, which I want to get into a little bit, or potential draft picks, because I know you're involved in that side. Um, but... Um, I guess the the big thing, there's a lot in your bio and a lot within your current role. So my first question is, uh, what is your typical, if there is a typical day-to-day look like? Because right now you've got a lot of titles and potentially a lot of skill sets.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, but now day-to-day, um, I guess, you know, to that, it depends a little bit on what, what time of year we're talking. Um, so I guess we'll go with off-season. So, you know, during the off-season training... Um, our players that are local, so with the team during the season, but in the off season, home base is Arizona, um, literally right next to our spring training complex. So, um, a good amount of guys come here and train. So, um, definitely, I'm still coaching um, during the off season, but as that process is unfolding, um, within you know, scouting and preparation for this year's draft and things like that, um, the fall into the winter. Uh, and then, when college seasons and high school season starts, um, this is kind of prime time to start keeping tabs on guys and, and looking into them and starting to build those profiles out. So um, in the off season, the typical day is is go to the complex, train the guys in the morning, um, and then you know whatever whatever projects uh, we have on the scouting side, kind of do those um, as we go during the season, um, it shifts uh, into more of more of just the strength and conditioning performance side. Um, where I'll be you know I'll be with the team and, and travel with them and all that. So kind of go to the stadium in the morning and and you know wait for the day to start and boys will start coming in and, and lift prior to you know stretch time and field time. so work with them in the weight room, go out, uh, be a part of stretch condition, watch them move around on the field. and then there'll be a little pocket after after BP where guys may or may not come in and then and then it's get ready for for the game. Um, and then along the way, if there is more, Additional scouting stuff. We we make sure we get that done as well. But I'm not alone in the scouting stuff. Um, our director Brandon is heavily involved. Um, he's the he's the father of the whole idea. And then we have Tyler Norton and Chris Dunaway, who are two staff members that are involved in it as well. That are boots on the ground looking at these guys too. So I'm um, a little bit different, you know, in season, off season. But that's kind of what the what the day to day looks like, um, depending on which
0: of which of those two it is. So. I think big picture, like hearing and you involved in the scouting. Um, I also know um, you at least went to LMT school. Are you currently in LMT?
1: Yeah, um, in the state of California. They they call it CMT, so a little bit different. Yeah, went to massage school and and do have that certification now.
0: Cool. So, and I know you got a little bit of a data background too. Um, When we talked pre-show, you mentioned some motor control stuff. So, um, big picture, uh, like a lot of people in our field, when they – you know, when they get into it, they start to get pigeonholed as, Oh, you're a, you're a speed guy or you're a, you're a data guy, you're a strength guy. Um, at what point when you were first getting into this field, uh, did you kind of realize like, all right, I'm somebody who could do a lot of different things and wear a lot of different hats?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I would say, you know, it has evolved kind of as we've went, I think the the massage thing is, is probably step one kind of in that process. I mean, coming, playing baseball, Um, In college, growing up, going to a place like CSP and kind of getting, uh, seeing the professional players in there and the high school players and working with that population directly obviously helps a lot when you get into the baseball specific kind of side of it. Um, But in the beginning, so four years ago, whatever it was, um, Travis Smith, our other major league strength coach, he went to massage school and immediately when he did that, I was like, wow, that's something that I want to do because... Then it was kind of making sure that the, the training room side and the weight room side that work cohesive. We speak each other's language. Um, I'm not trying to put my hands on guys because that's your role. But if you need me to, cool, I'll do it. But at the end of the day, let's just speak the same language. Make sure I know what you're doing so we could just kind of make that process of training room, um, soft tissue manual stuff into the weight room to get guys ready to go for the day. Um, just make that process smoother. So that was kind of where that piece started. So I went to massage school in an off season. I went out to L.A., did it out there. I to hang out with Brandon and Travis at the stadium and work with some of the major league guys that were there. So that was a cool experience to be able to do that. Um, but that's kind of where it started. And then in going into 2019, after the 2018 season, that's, um, that's when Brandon um, came to me about this potential scouting role. Um, he was involved with the process and, and he had kind of um, been building out this idea and, and running it with our, our director of amateur scouting. And they decided to make it a full-time position, so I definitely didn't intend to going into, um, you know, athlete uh, assessment and, and through a scouting lens and kind of travel around the country and look at players. Um, but you know, it's what he asked me to do, and I was willing to do whatever. And that's kind of then shifted that towards, um, you know, looking at on-field movement a little bit more and, and getting hands on players when we can and looking at our players that way. And, and as we continue to ride this data trend, um, just kind of having our system in place. Um, our operation in place in terms of how we look at guys before they're ours how we look how we begin the development process off of that information then try to you know putting pieces of technology that give us some objectivity to um, whatever it is that we're uh, that we're looking at or whatever it is we're trying to train so it's kind of just unfolded It definitely wasn't my uh, wasn't my intention at all I went into this thing saying I just want to be a good performance coach and like I said the massage thing happened um, and then Brandon you know kind of put me in this role and and have learned a ton about the game since, and it just kind of keeps going. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the story about how all that's kind of coming to fruition, I guess.
0: So I want to get into most of that in individual components, uh, you know, the scouting side, the the data side, um, some stuff on the coaching end as well. Uh, but I want to keep it more of a summary end of it to start. Um, you are, what, 28, 29? How old are you?
1: 28 years old. Yep.
0: Okay, cool. So you have the resume of somebody who's like 10 years older, um, which is, <laughs> is really impressive and, and credit to you. Um, Thank you. What, what is something um, that you know, maybe didn't get mentioned that you did in your early mid 20s that you're like really happy that you're like, all right, I'm glad I approached it this way. Or I'm glad I you know, went about it this way that um, when you're talking to young coaches or when you're talking to coaches that first get into the field um, that you advise them to do.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, really, it's so much of the credit belongs to CSP and the staff that I was around um, and ran phones. And and obviously, college just playing the game and being exposed to strength and conditioning through our strength coach, Maureen Butler. And she helped me out a ton getting into the profession. But I guess being inserted into going into the private sector initially, like being inserted into an environment that dealt with the population of people that I'm working with now. being able to early on, I, I really feel like the experience has kind of laid down a educational curriculum that made a lot of sense. Um, I got to CSP, I was exposed to in college, and then, okay, now I'm in the profession, I'm an intern, cool, here we go. Um, CSP immediately brought me uh, a foundation of anatomy, of fundamental movement, of assessment, of uh, those types of things that I do believe are kind of like the ground, the basement of building your house of knowledge on top of, you know, um, versus just like maybe being in a high level performance mindset and then having to double back once we get into pro ball. And now this whole movement thing and uh, movement screens and assessments become extremely important. Like I was able to see that um, on the population of person that I was going to be working with. So I think that element um, laid down a very nice foundation. Go transition to Ranfone Training Systems, which is an amazing facility um, with amazing coaches that are incredibly smart. And they begin to layer this um, performance Model on top of that, so then I'm exposed to that, and then ultimately get into pro ball where uh, we're working with the population. So I got extremely lucky in the sense of, um, you know, I did think that baseball was where I wanted to go as a player. I wanted to make it to the big leagues as a player. I wasn't good enough, and kind of pivoted and said, okay, well maybe I could, um, you know, do this because I'm passionate about it. And I enjoy it. Maybe that could be another way to get there. So the baseball thought process was always um, there. Uh, the goal was always there, but I was definitely put into experiences that laid down a, a very nice, um, you know, educational curriculum, so to speak, to, to begin that path. So I guess, um, doubling back to the second part of the question, you know, if you're not sure exactly what sector of, of the industry you want to work in then totally go experience, uh, go experience them all do college, try to get your foot in the door of professional baseball and, and do private. Um, if you're not sure what sport you want to work with, work with a bunch of them. Um, I think it is only going to make you better down the road, but, um, if you are a, a baseball person through and through like I was, um, putting myself or being lucky to be in situations that uh, taught me how to train baseball players early on in my you know, development process was, was definitely a key to that. So if you're a person that wants to be a football person, like train football players, then I would say kind of uh, if you're dead set on it, like start going down that path as early as you can at uh, facilities or places that excel in that domain. And, and that'll lay down a nice foundation for you to build up. Um, build up later as you progress in your career.
0: Awesome. That makes a, a ton of sense. And, you know, it's de- definitely stuff that as somebody who oversees an internship program here, like I, I hope all of the interns I have and, and future interns I have kind of listened to that last couple minutes, because I think there are a bunch of uh, really good bullet points within there. Um, one thing I see with our interns or with young coaches in general, um, it can be a little bit, uh, I guess, intimidating might be the word, or I see a lot of like almost fear within younger coaches to coach people older than you. Um, and you've been probably in a scenario almost every year in pro ball um, where you're consistently in spots where you're, you're coaching people older than you who, you know, maybe have more time in the weight room than you or more time at least in that weight room than you. Um, so what is kind of a strategy or kind of the mindset that you take into uh, combating that, like working with a population of people that is potentially a, a lot more experienced in that environment than you are?
1: Um, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe maybe the first thing is that if that's something that you have as an intern or coach, whatever, like I think it's normal like i I have it still have it, um you know, so it's definitely something that's that's a real thing, so don't don't worry about it, it gets better as you go um but yeah, I think the you know the classic answer of getting to know people uh, before you really coach them up is super important because it like shows you as soon as you can you know. Not decode. That's a bad word. But as soon as you can like get to know the person and realize that like yeah, just because they're the best baseball player in the world doesn't mean they're not a person. Um, so when you get to know the person and you kind of make that that common ground and, and get to know them a little bit, um, that kind of makes the the back end of the process better. And usually, like athletes are much more open to those things too. Um, yeah, like a lot of them have have had a ton of different strength coaches. They have things they believe in that makes them better. Um, so if you come in hot and try to make a bunch of changes um, right out of the shoot, like yeah, they're gonna be like, wait, I, I don't i don't know you and i know what i need to do to get myself ready i've done this at a high level for a very long time um you know when you when you get to know them first in the front end a little bit and you get to um, slowly over the course of time just be prepared i think that's another big part of this is being prepared in terms of when the opportunity does arise because it will um, where they come up to you and say hey what do you have on this or or what are your thoughts on this topic or what do you think i should do um today um in the weight room Uh, when you're prepared and you have all your information in line about that player. um, Usually that's your opportunity to kind of, you know, work with them, get that process going, and then usually it's very smooth after that. So get to know them um, as a person first, develop the relationship, be prepared with how you um, deliver your information, have your information ready, because then when the time comes where they do ask and they give you an in um, and you do a good job with that, then generally um, they're going to come back a second time. And over the course of time, then you you become close with that person and you train them. Um that's kind of the the you know process I've used, and it's it's going all right so far.
0: How would you say that process has changed because I know you were a guy who started at the lower levels of the minor leagues and climbed your way up over the five years. so now you're dealing with you know guys who are making twenty five thirty plus million dollars a year, some of them um whereas probably four years ago you were working with a bunch of eighteen nineteen twenty year olds um how How much does your approach differ? now versus it did then in terms of communication and getting to know the guys
1: yeah totally um i think uh it's a combination of i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of you know clear ones that are out there the younger population for the most part like when i was in azl those are majority of your population is going to be younger athletes with lower training ages from different areas of the world good majority of them don't speak English. So it's like just from a communication standpoint alone, obviously, if there's a language barrier, that's a pretty big uh, thing you got to work around. Right. So from a coaching standpoint, a communication standpoint, like then you got to go to more of the, um, the visual and the kinesthetic route to um, get your points across when you're on the floor and things like that. Um, so, you know, a, like a, the communication piece of it there. B, like what is your role within their bigger picture operation? Um, that is a very important part of it, too. Those, that demographic of people um, of athletes, they are they're learning the operation. They're learning um, the importance of hey, before I go out to the field, begin my day in the weight room or begin my day in the training room to get whatever uh, manual stuff, whatever whatever mobility drills that we have for them. Um, they need to learn the importance of the routine. So a lot of it is it's educational um, because they have they have uh, and you know, kind of nothing. And then you need to to bring them in and show them the importance and kind of sell them on it a little bit. So um, it's uh, a little bit more of a, hey, let's be super general and get them in the door and understand it and educate them so that they buy into it. As you get up the ranks and you get to ultimately the major league level, um, it's almost like a complete 80, 180 in the sense of um, these guys know that they need to take care of their body. They know it's a long season, right? And they have so many different touch points and experiences with different coaches throughout their career um, between, you know, potentially high school, college, the different levels of the minor leagues, if they were with different organizations. Um, So their routines are are much more uh, set in stone and their skill level is so is so high that, you know, sometimes maybe we don't feel like the routine is optimal for them. But in their mind, uh, because it's got them to the highest level, um, maybe that was that was the ticket to get them there. So with that demographic of, of person, Um, sometimes it becomes a little bit more like, let me lay that relationship kind of more. So what I was just describing, and then slowly over the course of time, expose them to a little something different that we think is valuable when the opportunity presents itself Then do it again and do it again. And over the course of time, maybe you get some turnover and you get some change, um, in that, in that routine as well. Now, um, I would say the third point with that being said is also just not to always believe that, um, you have the answer. Um, off of that point, like if we look at a prep routine um, that maybe we don't think is optimal, um, not necessarily thinking like that that's bad, like and we have a better answer. Listen to the reason why they believe in it, what they're trying to do on the field. Sometimes you could be, um, you know, you could be a little bit eye open by um, the reasoning behind why they're doing it or why somebody else gave them that drill during their their process. So um, yeah, beginning early on, there's some some language barriers, so your coaching points become a little bit different. But establish the importance of coming in every day and uh, establish the importance of training, um, to take care of their body, develop routines, get them to buy into the weight room with general stuff. And then as you get to the, the higher levels, it's more so, um, they have all that stuff down. So you are more so, um, just trying to, uh, input your, your information that you have in them to help them, um, you know, and trying to, and trying to change things slowly, um, within that process. So, and that happens faster with some guys than others, but yeah, there definitely is a big, uh, A big difference between those lower levels and the higher levels
0: so that was an awesome you know little uh piece on on just communication with athletes in general Uh, i'm sure coaches you know even guys who aren't you know working with major league athletes can uh, take pieces from that and apply it to their own settings Uh, one of the things as a baseball fan at least from the outside um, that it appears uh, like it's done really well um, with the dodgers is communication between departments so while we're talking communication and someone like yourself, who's, who's really good at communication, like you don't climb in the field unless you're um, someone who can communicate with all different types of people. Um, what is something uh, that the Dodgers internally do really well to promote uh, intra staff discussion? So whether it's you with a skill coach, you with somebody in scouting, you with somebody in the performance side or the health side, like how do all those departments collaborate really well?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think, I think step one is, you know, you have to set the, the culture of the bigger vision, right? Like everybody has to know that there's these different areas and like ultimately the goal is to make the player better, whether it's a minor league player that we're trying to develop to make it to the major leagues, or if it's a major league player that we're trying to uh, maximize the things that they're good at, everybody does play a respective part in that. So like step one of, you know, just understanding like, Hey, like we're going to create uh, culture and environment that everybody's going to input their information that with that's within their own um, respective domain into this this pool of information then we're going to dissect it and and we're going to kind of take out what's the most important stuff and that's how we're going to develop this guy um or work with them when you do that um immediately silos are kind of removed right because now you know like okay we're all working together and everybody plays a respective role in that's
0: um
1: secondarily to that i think you know it's a uh, it's a, it's a balance, right? It's a stay in your lane, but also know where outside of your lane goes. Um, so, okay, we're going to dominate the weight room, but we understand that, um, maybe to our right is the skill coach and to our left is the, the medical team. Like we're, we're, we're working on this developmental continuum of, of the table all the way to, um, high level performance in competition. So, okay. Like knowing where Okay, this is more of like an on-field movement thing. Like, okay, I'm involved in the movement side of thing and the skills coach is going to be heavily involved with this. Like, let's let's kind of get those groups of people together to kind of team this up. Or, um, you know, it's a more of a medical situation, rehab type thing. Okay, we're going to work coincide. We're going to coincide our, our thoughts here and we're going to come up with the plan on how um, You're going to get them out of pain and, and develop that. What can we do with them in the weight room until that process happens? And then how are we going to begin to inverse this? And then when does the skill coach come in to start um, layering down that process and the rehab stuff? So I think it's just, uh, you know, knowing, knowing your domain where that fits into the developmental continuum. And then, you know, like I said, first just understanding that we're all going to kind of have our hands in that and, and laying that rolling that process out. Um, so I think that's kind of the, Something that we do, we do a good job of. Um, we know that going in, and then everybody dominates their area. And when there's uh, the situation deems multiple areas coming together to carry something out, uh, we do that. So I think that's kind of the, the way we go about it.
0: You use the term in there that a lot of times in our field is used, almost like a threat. Um, the The idea of like staying in your lane. Um, that the instances I've heard it um, are, you know, the PTs who are you know, think that strength coaches are overstepping or strength coaches that think that PTs are doing too much or, or that skill coaches are, are you know, doing S and C stuff when they shouldn't be. But, um, it's, it's very refreshing to hear and, and very impressive in a lot of ways to hear, um, you know, an organization like the one you're in that, that is doing things, you know, very much the right way where you have experts within your own lanes. And, um, just because you're in your own lane doesn't mean you don't communicate with the others. So, um it's just cool to hear hear that from an insider uh view like yourself.
1: Yep. And then I guess uh, one other thing maybe to add to that, John, too, is just you know, I think it's important to think think a little bit um you know, outside the box in a sense of again, kinda like we were talking about earlier with the with the having the information kind of ready. Um, you know, like say it's a situation where you know a guy's um super unstable, he's a super lax individual, just like knowing the principles of of kind of like what that means from a uh, you know, scientific standpoint, I guess, in a way. Um, so, you know, carry that same example out of, okay, well, what do we know about super lax individuals that lack motor control and stability? Like, okay. Like controlling their body, proprioception, like maybe things are going to be a little bit off. So if you know that about a guy and then you start hearing a conversation unfold with maybe some skills, people are talking about, um, you know, repeating deliveries and landing secondary pitches. Like, no, by no means does it mean that if you get a guy more stable in the weight room, like it's going to make him repeat like, uh, you know, repeat things or control pitches better. But like, you know, the principle of that domain kind of aligns in a way um, with what they're talking about. So then you can all have that conversation together. And then, you know, at least in the weight room, like not to uh, try to strength his way to um, coordination on the mound, right? Like it helps your training process a little bit too. So uh, I guess maybe just a little secondary piece of that is just being able to think about the principles of, of, you know, the training thing that we're rolling out, the training operation, and then just kind of knowing that maybe it feeds into this area on the field or maybe it feeds into this area some when those conversations are happening like you're ready to, to give that information out and maybe it becomes useful um, with somebody else in a different department
0: so a lot of the theme of this so far has been about like wearing multiple hats you know different lanes merging and, and you know guys like yourself who are involved in multiple of them um and the i guess the original or the five years ago, the way that was being interpreted by strength coaches was like yourself, getting an LM, getting an LMT, maybe going back to PT school or getting an ATC, something where you're a little bit on the medical side, as well as the performance side. Um, You're a guy who, you know, you're doing stuff on the scouting side as well. Um, How much do you think that's unique to yourself and the Dodgers versus you think this is like the direction that the field in general is going in? Um,
1: yeah i mean i don't I don't know how many um, organizations have positions that like kind of solely work on that I know some are now um even the ones that don't like if you talk to different strength coaches that you know maybe they're a head strength coach for an organization um and you kind of talk to them usually around the draft time they do have some element of involvement and departments will ask questions about the athlete and things like that so I definitely do i don't think it's uh completely new or exclusive to us i think that people are doing it, and they've been doing it. Um, but uh, maybe I don't know the way that we try to streamline that process into the development process may be a little bit different. Um, but I do think it's important because again, um, you know, principles are principles, if we find out down the road that maybe principles we thought were true now aren't true later, um, to be to be determined. But um, I think when you live in just the operation of I'm going to build a system that's based off of these principles, you find out that those principles do extend past. Um, the weight room because movement is movement you move on the field the same way you move in the gym um, so you can slowly start to an example for that previous example you start to see areas of where um, things may play together um, out of the field so i think from a, applying principle standpoint to different areas um you know maybe that is something that um you know I, I can't speak on i don't know what other people are doing but that's definitely something that we're doing that's been very valuable we're going to continue to do it um so yeah i do i could definitely foresee uh, more people doing that to try to learn as much as they can about um, the player before they come in to expedite that process. So, um, don't know if I could, you know, say that's definitely where it's going to go. But I would, I would,
0: uh, I wouldn't be surprised by it for sure. Sure. And I don't know. Like you said, like you can't speak for what everyone else is doing. Uh, I certainly can't speak for what all thirty organizations are doing. But um, at least from the people I know in professional baseball and. Uh, The former interns I've had that have either gone on to work in pro baseball or have applied to jobs or interviewed for jobs in professional baseball. uh, Your role is at least relatively unique in that um, you've kind of had an opportunity to step into different departments um, at a pretty young age. It wasn't something that it was like, all right, you earned the right uh, years down the road. Um, did you have, what, one or two years at the beginning where you were just a strength coach? Like How early were you involved in different departments?
1: Yeah, totally, uh, for sure. Uh, so year one, um, I began, at, it was an intern position, so a part-time internship position. Um, this is shortly after, so I finished up at Cressy's, um, kind of begun, began the interview process with the Dodgers at the tail end of that. Um, so I was hoping, you know, if something would come out of it, luckily it did in between that is when I was back at Ramphone Training Systems. When I first started with the Dodgers in that intern role, it was definitely a, you know, it was a, it was a very good position to be in because in that role, you got to see different elements of, of professional baseball alone. So for example, um, in the, you know, I'd get in at the beginning of the day, I would be over with the, um, AZL guys during that early on part of the day where they were in the gym, doing the prepper chains before they went out to the field. Once they went out to the field, I'd, you know, bounce over to the other side of the facility where um, our director of minor league performance, Brian Stoneberg, um, he was running through the rehab stuff with those players. So I was able to see the rehab side of it and then double back out and see um, the AZL guys on the field and then and kind of, you know, watch them play the game that night. So um, that part early on, let me see different parts of performance coach within professional baseball. Um, and then, like I said, that thing kind of grew. I would say in 2018, though, um, before I went to high A with our team then, it was uh, our Rancho Cucamonga team was in high A, it's low A now. But that year in 2018, I would say, is where this shift began to happen. Um, I remember in spring training, we all, and again, this is, this is driven from Brandon and, and Brian that year to, to begin rolling this out. I remember being in the, uh, the big room where we would have our, our staff-wide meetings, all different departments, player meetings, things like that. Uh, we all divided out and we sat with our our staffs for that year and we went over movement screens for all the players um, and then that's when those conversations started to ha- oh like you're talking about uh, hip mobility rotational hip mobility i'm trying to get him to rotate his hips in the cage and it's it's not going as well as i think it should or it, this drill worked well for this guy but it didn't work for this guy So then those conversations started to happen and, and i had an unbelievable staff in 2018 super fortunate there i mean if you go through that list um, Connor McGinnis, our, who's our assistant major league pitching coach now, Justin Vealy, who's a major league hitting coach with the Giants. Um, we had a lot of great staff. And our manager, Drew Saylor, he was, he's a coordinator now um, with the major league organization. We had a staff that was very open to it and, and kind of let that collaboration happen. So I was lucky that the staff that I was with that year was open to it. So we ran a nice system where, um, you know, was a, to get in the cage, it was a requirement to come see me in the second cage to do your prep team before he got into cage JV. So, um, 2018, I would say is where the shift began, um, where we started having those conversations with the skills coaches, um, and kind of trying to figure out this thing of how does my lane plan to your lane and how can, um, I help that process or be involved in that process. And we ran that playbook and they allowed me to do that. So 2018 is where it shifted and the 2019 is when that scouting role began. So I would say 2017 and then um, you know, that that year was just being a strength coach, just being a performance coach. And like I said, I was able to see the the day-to-day operation of the Young Bucks and then see the rehab side of things, too. And then um, 2017 was just a strength coach. It's been a while now. I'm getting my ears messed up. 2016 is when I did that. 2017, I was with the AZL team full-time just as a performance coach. And then 2018 is when that shift began to happen and then that kind of rolled into the um, the scouting position in 2019.
0: So you've mentioned a few times uh, doing evaluations or assessments on players Um, from an S and C side. um, You might not have the exact number because probably like yourself, like I'm not sitting there and counting test one, test two, test three and going through. But um, on the S and C side, like how many roughly how many different things are you looking at, um, followed by like how long does a typical player assessment take? Um,
1: Yeah, sure. So with our guys. Um when we're rolling out our assessment, I think it's um all right like what are the what are the buckets of physical qualities that we want to we want to assess so the, those physical buckets would be which ones are important to to play the game so we know that um as a player, there's a very big movement and coordination component to it um so we want to see um, some element of our assessment that involves you know testing that um there's a strength component uh there's a power component, and then I think within each of those you can further divide that out a little bit. Um, But ultimately the task is insert a test um, or an assessment that fits each one of those particular buckets. So you could see where athletes are, which buckets they're good in, which ones they aren't, or which ones are the lowest hanging fruit to improve upon and then kind of break those out from there. So um, from a movement standpoint, uh, we do a handful of things. Um, This is where more collaboration with the medical staff definitely comes into play. They handle all the passive range of motion stuff. Uh, We handle more of the active range of motion stuff and then into like general movement patterns, which is a combo of FMS and on-base U or TPI um, screens. And that kind of handles the coordinative component of it. Then uh, that process probably takes, uh, I'm not exactly sure how long their part takes, but we can finish our movement screen. And uh, it ranges anywhere, I would say from maybe seven minutes to 15 minutes. We kind of set it up like a, like a spider web or a breakout kind of modeled after sfma a little bit so depending on how guys do and kind of some of the top tier stuff can speed up or slow down that process so call it anywhere from seven to 15 minutes on the movement squat scry- uh, movement screen side that serves as that component of the assessment and then usually when it comes to the performance-based testing stuff it's, it's just quicker for us to do it within the lift um so within the you know guy works out uh, first time whatever his lower body push for that day is we do our we do a split squat test so we'll do the split squat test within the lift so that's just more so a way of uh, a way to deal with volume and speed up the process but that test is relatively quick Um, and then we'll do some force play jumps and some med ball throws which which takes some time but ultimately um, within the first uh, handful of days of spring training we have all that information set up and we've been running that playbook for a couple years now so we're able to kind of dissect it as a staff and be able to look at Look at the you know historical values of all those things and kind of be able to call somebody um, you know above average, below average, um, or average uh, within each one of those, and then we identify okay this is the bucket that is the lowest piece of hanging fruit, and then that's kind of
0: how we model our our training programs around. So I definitely want to get into a little more um, within a couple of those buckets, uh, specifically on. Um, the performance testing end of it and what tech you guys are using and how you value it. Um, but before we get there, um, I'm curious, like kind of in this dual performance scouting uh, S and C role, um, how often are you either one watching the game live uh, two watching film of the game after the fact, or watching guys either hit in the cage or throw on the side um, to drive training decisions?
1: Uh, okay. So, within the so you're saying our players are more on the scouting side
0: uh your players your own players
1: our players yeah totally so i think that's the i mean that's the last piece of the puzzle right so if you want to like lay out the operation i would call it under the coordination bucket or bucket one whatever i'd call it general general movement or general coordination so that's um you know your breakouts passive range of motion active range of motion Um, general, you know, FMS type movement, and then maybe some bigger global patterns like SMA or TPI. Right. Um, But your general uh, movement bucket, general coordination bucket, then you go into the strength bucket, then you have your power bucket. And the last, I would call it a bucket is, is specific movement. So um, within that, say it's a position player. Okay. Where are the different areas that we think that we can look at the different elements of how they move? The swing is an obvious one. Secondarily to that, um, defense. So under, you know, outfielders, shortstops, catchers, they would have some different um, positions or things that we would key in on specifically, but how do they move on the defensive side of the ball? And then how do they move um, with the running mechanics too, coming out of the box, shuffling, crossing over, things like that. So where pitchers maybe is just the, the delivery itself. So, um, but the specific movements to on the field, the coordination of that I would say is your fourth bucket, because there are going to be situations where um, they move really well with you in the white room and on their screens, they're generally very, Uh, strong they have good power output on a force plate or with a med ball throw Um, and then sometimes there's coordination based stuff that you have to do on the field this is a situation where um, tying back into earlier that's when you get with the skills coach and you guys dice this thing up of how can you take your principles to help that process unfold and work together on that Um, where sometimes it's the opposite way around they're super coordinated on the field but um, because they've done it for so long and they've done it at high speeds at a high level Um, but maybe some of the general stuff we can clean it up and that's where we work with the Uh, medical staff and we work at that lower end of the operation or somewhere. Sometimes it's somewhere in the middle and that's when we get to do um, traditional performance training and get them stronger and get them more powerful. But uh, yes, that is it. If you you look at just those first three buckets without appreciation of the fourth bucket of how it comes out on the field, not only do I think you miss an opportunity uh, to train them optimally, but I also think that you can um, work the other way around, which is something that people don't talk about too frequently. We may take somebody who has a poor movement screen or they have things that the the book would say, hey, this isn't enough range of motion and we need to change it um, because that's going to make them better. Um, but maybe they found capacity and they have found a way to utilize those train tracks to get the job done at a very high level with their on-field movement. And if we put a new set of train tracks down without appreciating that, I think we could hurt them, so hurt their performance and I mean, maybe physically hurt them as well. So I do think that you need that fourth bucket and you do need to be in the dugout, uh watching the game, looking at uh video afterwards and then appreciating any, you know, statistical backing that uh you can within each one of those domains. So yeah, it's uh it's a super integral part, and I think you need to do it.
0: The, that last part was I think so invaluable. Um we especially on the SNC and medical side, we talk so much about like movement quality, movement screens, range of motion, and I think the way it's taught in the field is such that there's this assumption that more is always better. Um, but in high-level sports, that's not really always true. Um, and so it's it's refreshing to hear from someone on on your end of it that you know is is wearing multiple hats and and talking to the skill guys and realizing that hey, like this guy might not have you know the per- perfect range of motion here, but he's incredibly efficient in the way he swings or the way he throws and trying to change that at least at the time at certain times a year might actually be really dangerous for the person. So um, I'm sure you've seen this before, but examples of like, if somebody doesn't have full elbow extension and they're a pitcher and they're throwing well, pain-free, trying to give that to them mid-season might, yeah. make, it might make their arm unstable. Um, you know, same thing goes with the hips and shoulders. And there's, there's probably a handful of other examples, but um, I think it is is incredibly important to step back and take a look. Um, You're mentioning like the four buckets. Can you repeat uh, what the four buckets are? I know you said like on-field stuff, strength, power, and movement quality. Were those the four?
1: Yeah, yeah. So just like maybe within the movement um, area, just just being able to – and really I think the point of that one is to just segment um, just like low, low threshold, more proprioceptive base, screening, and weight room type movement that it's just not necessarily created equal to uh high speed, instantaneous uh movement that also needs to be incredibly variable, especially for, you know, a hitter um on the field. So taking the movement element of those and just kind of making them their own respective buckets, um, just because we do think training them would be a little bit different. And then yeah, strength, uh strength and power. And then you could, you know, have a whole bunch of drop downs from that. Um, you know, for example, pa- the power bucket can be um, bilateral jumping on a force plate, it could be unilateral jumping or, or different planes of motion, things like that, where you can kind of get as, as nitty gritty with it as you want or keep it super simple. But yeah, top tier, um, I would say the general, general movement bucket, um, the general strength bucket, general power, and then sports specific movement being that fourth one.
0: You've mentioned force plates a few times. Uh, I'm sure you guys are measuring other things as well. Um, what are a couple pieces of technology that you find yourself using all the time or almost daily?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, let's see. So, I mean, at, at the at the major league level, we're super lucky. We have Statcast, so all of the uh, major league stadiums are equipped with um, GPS monitoring devices. So every day, uh, when I come in, we have a nice report that basically tells um, tells us how fast the guy ran, last how much volume um, in terms of yardage a player covered that day, um, all over the field. Uh, how many sprints they ran. So I believe the system's equipped where if it's 90 or 95% of what their maximal speed is, it'll ping it as a sprint. Um, So you get the total volume that they covered. In terms of yardage, you have the number of times they clip 90 or 95% of their uh, max speed and that's quantified as a sprint. So every single day from a workload standpoint, I'm able to check in with those things. So we're super lucky that we have that. Um, But from a daily standpoint, the information that we get from that system, um, we use it every day because, you know, again, the, the, we can control sets and reps in the weight room um, for the most part. Uh, hitting coaches can control swing volume, um, defensive reps, things like that. The game is the one that's uh, uncontrollable, right? You never know how many guys, times a guy is going to sprint. If they go for four and don't have a single ball hit to them, um, their workload's going to be very low in the game, where if they go three for four with uh, two doubles and a single, and they're a center fielder, and they're running down all kinds of balls in the outfield, um, they've covered a lot of ground and they've done it with high intensity. So just being able to, to quantify um, how, how much work they completed in the game and at what intensity that work was completed. Uh, we think it's super important from a looking at external load standpoint. So um, that is definitely something that we use daily. Uh, the force plates are something that we love. We use them. I wouldn't say we, get, we, def- I mean, we definitely do not get jumps on everybody daily, uh, but if we can get a jump on a guy a week, um, I think that's probably a good goal. Some guys use it more than others, but we have it and we believe in it. Um, to use it really for two domains. So again, if we're looking at our different buckets, the force plate would fit under the power um, section of that. So if power is a goal for a guy, we get to use it as a performance monitoring uh, system where we could see if they're trending up or trending down. So we know how our training interventions are working. Um, but secondarily to that, it becomes a, a daily ready, a readiness monitoring system as well. Um, within that, you, again, within all this stuff, you can go in and you could look at your different, you could further break that out. So from a readiness standpoint, um, RSI is something that would be reactive strength index would be a number super important to kind of see where they're at. Um, eccentric contraction rate, time of eccentric contraction would be, um, another one that kind of falls under that bucket of using a force plate as more of a readiness, um, piece of equipment as well. So, uh, stack cast force plates. And then we do, we have been getting into velocity based training more and more. Um, so we use, uh, right now we're using more accelerometers because they're a little bit more, um, dynamic and they're not ideal and that's maybe not necessarily but we don't do uh too much barbell stuff um, anymore we do when you know when it's uh, a usable uh tool for us we do a lot of kettlebell stuff so so the accelerometers push band is the one that we use it lets us uh, put it on the body put it on an arm so we kind of get some velocity numbers um, outside of just barbell lift. so that's one that we use but ultimately that would fall under the uh, the VBT umbrella too so I would say those are the um, Those are the big three uh, that we use daily or try to use as often as possible to kind of keep tabs on where the boys are at. So we can kind of, you know, roll with the punches, so to speak, with the peaks and valleys to make sure that we're giving them uh, what is going to be good for them that day and, and, you know, avoiding what may not be. Um, So, yeah, a long way of saying the the stack cast information. We use that daily. Um, We use the force plates as much as we can. And then we use um, we use some accelerometers to get to get VBT and different jump metrics as well.
0: I'm sure there are a lot of strength coaches listening to this, uh, myself included, who don't have access to all that stuff. Um, we totally. do. We obviously do some VBT uh, at, at CSP. Um, you know, we are measuring sprint speeds, usually tens and twenties, just given the space. But um, you know, we obviously don't have like Statcast in a in a private sector facility facility in Massachusetts. Um, but totally. um, The thing I, I'm curious about is uh, from the force plate side. So there's a lot of data out there specifically i feel like in the last two years or so it's it's picked up a lot um Mm -hmm. and also the the ease of access to um, people like myself to have have a force plate so like if i wanted to buy one i could they're not the most expensive thing in the world anymore they're a little pricey but they're they're coming down and down every year Um, what is something you feel like you learned something or some things plural that you feel like you've learned as a strength coach from using a force plate
1: yeah absolutely um real quick though I definitely do want to if I can double back a little bit to what we said at the beginning um, part of it without having StatCast. so that is Yeah go thing. for it. yeah yeah we had our so we had our symposium recently and you know spoke of that and kind of talked about some of the the data type stuff and using it to make decisions you know we're, we're lucky because we do have something like that but um, we don't have that at the minor league level um, and we didn't always have it you know at the major league level um, before I got here but I do want to definitely you know touch on that when it comes to you know, quote data, right? Like we, when you hear that word, like we think of things like that, right? High intense or highly expensive gadgets and pieces of technology. At the minor league level, we have our coaches just track sprints. So they're in the dugout. If a guy, it's a little, it's obviously subjective, but some subjectivity and being able to log that and track it over time is better than nothing at all, right? The goal should be to have the system rooted in principle and and just find areas and ways based off your resources to make it more objective if you can. So on both sides of the ball, so if it's, you know, defense and offense, um, they log sprints and we basically, um, set averages for the different positions. And if you have say five to eight sprints, um, as a up the middle guy, shortstop, second baseman or center fielder, that's kind of a normal day. We give them a one to five grade, um, with three being a normal day. So say they have uh, if five to eight is their normal. And then we log 12 sprints. Maybe they get a five for in-game sprints that day. And that can be done in an Excel file. So you don't necessarily need. Um, you know, you don't need the fancy stat cast machine all the time. Um, if you're able to, you know, watch the game and track sprints and get with the pitching coach or the hitting coach at the end of the day, Hey, um, did X player kind of complete his normal routine today, or was he aggravated from going over for the night before? So he took, uh, 50 extra swings and then run that same one to five, uh, operation. And at the end of the day, you just add those up and you can get your daily workload, external workload for the day. If you track that over time, um, you could use that data. Uh, to make informed decisions, and that was just watching sprints on the field. So I definitely do think that's an important piece that, you know, maybe some listeners will, will find value in. Um,
0: well, I think there's a ton sure. of value there, too, just from a standpoint of, um, you know, most college rosters are 35, 40. Now with the COVID year, like up, upwards of 45 guys. Um, and so coaches, I feel like, are always looking for uh, things to for the, you know, the 10th, 12th, 14th pitcher on the staff to do during the game. Like you could easily have – a someone who's not going to play that game like just track sprints on guys and hand in the data at the end of the game. Um so it's um something that, you know, you guys obviously do at the major league level um with relative ease because it's given to you through uh, through technology, but it's not something that is um, you know, the way you're describing it, it's not something that is uh has like a high or a big barrier to entry.
1: Yeah, and and you might laugh at us because we talk about we talk about statcast, we talk about um, force plates. We talk about, uh, velocity based training. So like we're doing all this stuff, but then if you look at currently what our med ball testing is, it's just uh, a couple different throws and we throw it for distance and we set a tape measure out that when the ball hits it the tape measure moves and we got to reset it and tape it down with more tape. Like it's kind of bootleg, honestly. Um, but that's, that's what we're working with right now from a upper body and, and total body power standpoint. So, but again, the principle is we, we think that under the power umbrella, A force plate would be a nice beginning part of that because it's a bilateral sagittal plane move. Um, It's safe. It's a good environment to produce power in. And then, you know, we also think that um, total body power is important, too, in in different planes. So we do a a granny toss for extension pattern, total body sagittal plane extension pattern. And we do a soccer throw for um, total body uh, sagittal plane flexion power. And then we do a rotational shot put toss for total body uh, transverse plane power. Um, But the principle is because we think that's important. So right now the medicine ball testing is the best way we could do that because that fits the principle. Um, But there's other uh, fancier, you know, means to make that more, maybe a proteus, right? Like where you can get more objective force outputs in a rotational pattern. That would be, that would be a piece of tech that fits the principle of what we're trying to do or what we think is important. So Um, yeah, there's, there's areas within our operation that are super advanced from a technological standpoint, like the ones I mentioned, which sounds great, but there's also ones that uh, we don't have the means of doing it just yet, but we're finding ways and resources to do it to the best of our ability, like throwing a med ball as far as you can and marking where it lands and, and writing that down. So yeah, it could be, it could be as simple or as extensive as you want it to be.
0: Eric, this has been awesome so far. Um, I'm sure we could talk about this stuff for like two hours because I got a lot more questions. Uh, You know, obviously I I know with COVID it's kind of hard to have people come behind the scenes sometimes, but if I'm ever out in spring training, I'd love to just come, you know, see behind the scenes and hang out and, and, you know, see what all that stuff looks like. But um, I don't, I don't want to take too much uh, of your time. I know the podcast is going to be planned for about an hour. So we got a few minutes left. Um, So without opening You know, like any big new topics. Um, The only other question, main category, I want I had left was, uh, you're a guy who you know has learned a lot since arriving in pro ball. And sometimes uh, I think coaches look at getting to you know whether it's pro ball or a big time college job or you know a job they really want in the private sector or when they start making a lot of money, um, they look at it as like, all right, I've made it. And that's probably the same in in every aspect of life but i'm just most familiar with this field um, how do you approach you know continuing education uh, both from a standpoint of like when do you try to focus a lot of your learning and how do you identify stuff that you feel like you need to work on as a professional to continue to develop oof yeah i mean it's getting
1: it's getting longer and longer right because it's like on the one hand you want to focus on one thing, but you don't want to lose something else. So, you know, for example, like, okay, we're, we're going down the scout and hole and technology and all this stuff. But like, I don't want to forget about the massage stuff that I did then. And I still want to keep those skills fresh. Um, so I, I don't know, I kind of find myself going on, I kind of go in different areas. Um, whatever the flavor of the the time is, I suppose, but try to break it down into, you know, personal, professional development, whatever you want to call it, like stay in tune with that and ways to become a better leader and stuff like that, because that's a, that's a big, important part of, you know, these higher positions is managing, communicating with people, managing staffs, things like that. And would love to keep getting better in that domain as well. So maybe that's a category um, within the scouting baseball stuff. Um, maybe call that another, another different bucket. So what resources could fit in that? um like right now it's you know on base U we did that um now it's like a lot of franz bosch's work i've um, been reading diving in since he came and talked to us in spring training in 2020 because that stuff kind of fits in that bucket uh, and then you have um you know performance and, and the massage and the medical side of things too so i maybe call that a third bucket but uh i definitely I don't, I don't have an extremely calculated approach with it um but i there's a lot to I'm learning a ton just from, from doing all this stuff too and talking to people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever the whatever the different bucket is that I'm in, that area the most, like doing a lot of stuff there, and then just being able to make sure uh, double back and appreciate the other stuff too, and not fall out of the loop there. Um, but yeah, just kind of reading, reading, reacting, and, and seeing where the game's going and things like that, and just try to be uh, try to be a step ahead of that within those different buckets and kind of dive into different materials from there.
0: So last little you know five minutes or so, couple rapid fire questions um, first one I have for you. so I have a lot of interns come through at c s p that you know maybe want to get into pro ball like yourself, and I use you as an example uh, without really knowing you that well. use you oh, as an sick. example of somebody who hey, like you know uh he was twenty two ish when he interned c s p just like you and he went and continued to seek out internships and learning opportunities and Was probably in some ways willing to like eat it for a little while and not have the most ideal job. Um, So, is there a bus ride or a day in Arizona heat where where that stands out in your mind as being like, wow, why am I doing this? Oh yeah, hey, my bags were packed. I was I was out.
1: Um, I was ready to be done. Uh, So we did. You got to like take a leap of faith at some point, right? So actually, when I interviewed with the Dodgers. I remember like it was yesterday. I was in the gym. I was at CSP. I was walking around a little warm-up area. Eric texted me, hey, uh, position with the Dodgers. It pays X amount. It's at this facility. you interested? I said, yep, cool. Let's do it. Uh, Began the interview process and was interviewing for an affiliate position. It was a low A position at the time, which was in Great Lakes. And that was kind of what I was hoping to get because of probably to your point, you know, like I had interned at CSP twice. Um, I had interned at Ran phones. I had interned at the at UConn, where I went to school uh, between semester or in the summer, um, going into my senior year. So I'd done four internships at that point. Uh, had made a dollar. Um, so I was ready. You know, I felt like I was ready for a full time job with a, with a salary and all that good stuff. Um, then went through the interview process. I thought it went really well. So I was kind of, in a way, you know, I thought I was going to get that job. Um, but they offered me a uh, the intern position, which was paid ten dollars an hour and i had to move across the entire country and go somewhere where i didn't know anybody so um and brandon when he called me and said i think this is the best thing for your development this is how i did it and and he was looking at it through that lens and he was 100 percent right and ultimately decided to do it because the worst you know worst case scenario was i go out there and i'm there for six months and i find out pro ball is not for me but at least after that i know now i've tried college i've tried the private sector and i've tried professional baseball with uh tried pro element within kind of like this baseball thing so um anyway yeah i went out to arizona um it was hot i didn't know anybody wasn't the smoothest start and i was like man all right like this isn't for me i'm after the couple months i'm gonna go home and uh maybe i'll work you know i'll work somewhere around there and go back to the private sector but um really that first year once the draft happened so this is in um, July, so I started in May, so May, June. Um, coming to mid-July, I'm like two and a half months in. And that was kind of like, for me, was my coming out party in a way, in the sense of like, that's when I really started liking it. The players rolled in, we got to do um, all these different, we got to run the assessment operation, all of them. I got to be involved with that. Uh, I feel like I shifted a little bit more from you know the intern to one of the coaches. And once that happened, uh, then was able to program for those players and really like start getting in there a little bit more. And then, you know, I kind of really started loving the pro environment from there because it was a nice combination of, it's like a private sector training style in the sense of everybody has an individualized program and we coach them as they come in, but you still have the team element uh, that maybe you get in college. So it was kind of the best of both worlds for me. But yeah, it was, uh, I guess maybe the front end was like, all right, I got to take, I didn't get the job I wanted, but I'm going to take this jump, this leap of faith to try it out. And I got there, I was like, F this, this isn't for me. Uh, but then I ended up actually loving it. So it was a little bit of a roller coaster there in the beginning, but yeah. Um, I guess, you know, it, uh, I ate it for a little bit and I had to eat it a little bit more and then I ended up loving it. And now obviously it's worked out, it's worked out pretty good. So, uh, yeah, yep. That's kind of how that experience went.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so last question here. So I know you're obviously a really busy guy traveling with the team. You're all over the country during the year. Uh, you probably go most of eight plus months without an off day or close to without an off day. Um, what is something or something that uh, you need to make sure that you do in the off season every year?
1: Yeah, well, it's family time now. So we had, um, we had a baby. Uh, I have a uh, one year old and three, one year, three month old son, um, Jackson. We actually have another baby on the way. Um, so Congratulations. She, thank you. He or she will be here in August. So uh, family time is now, that's all, that's all it is. Um, because you know, it is, it is tough. You're, um, you're right. You're away a lot. You travel a lot. Um, you know, you leave for the ballpark early, you get back late at night. So there was a while there where I would see my son for maybe an hour in the mornings during the season. And then by the time I got back, he was sleeping. Um, so you do miss a ton of time. It definitely is a big commitment. So when you do have time in the off season, we got to make sure, uh, family time counts. So, um, you know, we like to go out to different restaurants and we love Phoenix, you know, uh, my wife is from here, so this is where home base is. So we make sure we go to different different restaurants and date night and things like that around Phoenix. Um, and then we hang out obviously with Jax uh, every other minute. Uh, when we're home outside of that, so it's definitely uh, we don't do as much stuff as we used to. Um, but now it's uh, it's all about family time in the off season for sure.
0: That's great, man. Uh, last one. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you if they're looking to learn more about you, follow you, see what you're posting? Uh, what's the best route to do that?
1: Uh, yeah, totally. Um, I would say Instagram is probably the best. Um, if you are looking for, you know, if it's just me, like connect with me, talk, whatever, like more than happy to do that. Uh, my personal account, I think it's eric.yav, uh, but, you know, Eric Yavaron on Instagram. That's more like my personal account. I don't really post a ton of content, like training content necessarily on there. Um, so that would probably be the best place to connect with me uh, personally. But if you want more of like the content training side, um involved with with an operation called five tool connection we have an instagram page five tc baseball um but we, we post a little bit more training stuff on there so i guess depending on what route you're looking um if it's just you know me say hi whatever um personal instagram account if it's more like content and, and snc based stuff i'd say go check out uh five tc's account for sure
0: eric i appreciate all the time today and uh, you know like we like we kind of started the podcast uh you're a guy i'd love to be in touch more with and uh Obviously not just saying that for the people listening, but I hope all our listeners enjoyed it and um, hope you have a good day.
2: Thank you for joining us for
0: another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you
1: enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read
0: on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions. For future guests and questions,
2: just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.